Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Good morning, everyone. Amen. It's wonderful to be together to, on this Father's Day, as it were. The world celebrates Father's Day, which I think is a very good practice to honor mothers and fathers and to make an occasion of it. I think it entrenches a culture um, that is honorable uh, and would meet with God's pleasure from the heavens. You can never over go overboard with one thing, and that is with honor. Uh, you would rather on the side of being over-honorable than to be under-honorable, as it were. Not to honor is a serious uh, biblical uh, uh, indictment upon any person. Not to honor God and to honor servants of God or honor leadership or those that God has placed in your life over you to, to, to guide your soul into fullness in Christ. Both biological and spiritual parentage needs to be honored. I have it as part of a teaching in this particular segment on kingdom economics with which we are busy currently to deal with, and I I termed it give honorably, give honorably. All giving should be uh, propelled by a sense of great honor and esteem or weightedness that you attach to the individual or to God. So sometimes the absence of giving symptomatically points to an absence of honor. And you could give your way honorably. There's no one that ever gives with the motivation to honor that will ever be in lack. It's not the giving per se that will get you out. It's the spirit of honor by which you do it. What God will look with favor upon is honor. Amen. And so I want to honor all the fathers in the house, and we'll do that specifically a bit more later. But for now, happy Father's Day. May the Lord richly bless you and keep you. I want to speak briefly this morning because we have a number of things to do, including some time for fellowship via tea and coffee um, afterwards, which I want everyone to stay for and not simply to rush off. Remember, we are building a culture of family. We are are cultivating a family ethos. And spending time together is a critical, vital part of family development. So I won't say I promise I will be brief. I will try to be brief. Amen. And we'll see how the Lord works. Amen. I just have a few thoughts, really. We are busy discussing the grace of God. And in the present phase of the series, we are now dealing with kingdom economics and finance. And for the past eight sessions or so, I've demonstrated to you in reference to money that in Scripture there is no greater correlation between grace and anything than the matter between grace and money, okay? And it's given significant coverage in the Bible, both directly and both indirectly. And we came to this conclusion that the graceful man is the giving man. Nobody can lay claim to great grace and not be generous. It is inconsistent to say, I'm a woman or a man of grace, and to be stingy, to be a miser, to hoard, or to fail 
to express financial obedience to any one of God's financial principles. We also said, just in quick summary, that if the requirement from your perspective, for example, to obey first fruits, tithes and offerings, if from your perspective it's too burdensome, it's too hard, I suggested to you, you are looking at the command of Scripture from the platform of your flesh, with the mind of the natural mind and not with the spiritual mind. And what you're attempting to do is to obey God's law in your own strength and in your own flesh. And I, I prove to you from the scripture that not only in reference to things financial, but in any matter, if you feel something is too difficult for you to obey, I suggested to you, tap into the reservoir of the grace of God in you and let your outward obedience flow forth from the grace potential in you and not what is capable relative to you in your human strength. If left up to yourself, we're not going to obey God, right? Left to ourselves, we're going to fail. But if I function from the, the, the volume of the grace of God in me and let every act of obedience flow forth from that position, then it is effortless, easy, and inevitable. Right? Everyone say effortless. Say easy. Say inevitable. I like inevitable because inevitable means I can't help myself. Even if there's a reluctance to do, the grace in me will propel me to ensure that I do the thing. Not so? Right? So Jesus, we read a scripture in Hebrews 2, 8 and 9. Jesus tasted death, it says. How? How did he taste death? By the grace of God. And grace in that context, we said grace is the compositional makeup of God as a spirit being. It's full of grace. Grace is the substance by which he is comprised. When it's in us, it has particular effects. One of the effects is it drives or it pushes, it energizes, it, it empowers behavior and even thinking. You can figure your, your mindset and push your outward action, right? So Paul would say, in 1 Corinthians 59 and 10, I am what I am how? By the grace of God. And then he said this, I work. Everyone say, I work. Now he's saying, I work, but he quickly qualifies. He says, I work, yet not I. It's a strange paradox, and it's not a contradiction. He's saying, I work, but what you see in terms of my work which in two verses later he said, I worked harder than all the apostles. Now how can a man claim, you work harder than John, Peter, Andrew, Bartholomew, James, put all the twelve together, Paul is saying, I worked harder than them. Or, he's not being proud, he's not being arrogant saying, look at my efforts and look at theirs. He's drawing attention to what grace can produce in a man. He's saying, I worked but it cannot be accorded to my efforts. He said it's nothing more than my cooperation with grace content that God gave me. Right? So tell your neighbor, function in keeping with your grace. There's, a, there's an allotment, if you would, a measure of grace that God has given to all men. And I'm saying, be more grace aware. Be more grace conscious. Be, be, be more aware of what God has given you and let everything that you're required to do then flow out from that empowerment. One of the effects of grace is 
It enables, it empowers functionality. It pushes um, obedience. It, it drives a person, right? Grace doesn't make you lazy. Because <laughs> Paul said, I work. Tell you never work, right? But your efforts are not yours in terms of the, the fuel, if you would, that drives it. It can be put down to all that you see that I do, what I'm doing, is credited to the grace of God because left to me, if I do what I do in my own strength, it will kill me. But for the, but for the grace of God. Now, in the matter of giving, I demonstrated to you variously, which I don't want to rehearse now because of time, how that whenever I give something financially, there's a quality about grace which is inherent to its nature that it always beckons to give out. Grace always begs, if you would. Um, there's something in it that propels it to express itself outwardly, to give out. So Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 talks about financial giving. And in two chapters, he references the grace of God seven times. He uses the grace of God seven times. And he's speaking about how the Macedonian church from deep poverty gave according to their ability and beyond their ability. Here's a church that defies context. The context is deep poverty. How can you give? He said, liberally they gave, lavishly, extravagantly, more than the, the wealthy Corinthians. They gave from deep poverty, and he reckons it. He says, I want, you to, I want to make known to you the grace of God upon the Macedonians. Right? So if you struggle... In the matter of financial giving, it's symptomatic of grace deficiency. You're called by grace, not by your works when you got saved. Huh? Nothing you could do to earn salvation. Now being in Christ, in the kingdom, you're saved. I'm suggesting now being saved, similarly to how you got saved, your works couldn't earn your salvation. It was all by grace. Now that you are saved, this compositional makeup of God as a spirit being is now in you. And then every requirement you see that God expects you to obey, you must think like this. I have to approach this. Let's say God is calling you to forgive someone that hurt you. You're struggling, you're fresh to do it. You've got to tell yourself, I have to do this by the grace of God. The grace of God in me must compel me and push me to, to do it. Okay? And we looked at various examples to demonstrate this. On Wednesday, I'm so sorry the recording was lost, uh, our Bible study on Wednesday evening. But I went home and I did a studio version of some of the principles. Just, I preached to myself in my office, right? <laughs> and I really felt the presence of the Lord. In fact, you must listen to it. It's the last edition on the website under Kingdom Economics, part seven, I think it is. Because there I shared things in my office that I did not share with you here in the Bible study. It was just simply spon a spontaneous flow. But one of the most remarkable examples that captured my heart was how Hannah gave. Hannah was barren. What the flesh could not produce in terms of giving forth a son, grace produced and gave us Samuel. Why do I say that? What does the meaning of Hannah? Grace. The word Hannah, like Anna of Luke 2.37. Remember Anna? In the, in the New Testament, a prophetess that served God with prayers and fastings, right? Hannah, they're, they're both 
equivalence, if you would, because both gave birth to prophetic stuff in the respective testaments. Hannah means grace. Barren can't produce stuff in a, in a human capacity, right? She prays to God. So grace produced a son, which she called Samuel. Remember, even before she asked God for the boy, she said this, give me a son, and straight away, there's a comma there in your Bible, it says, I will give him back to you. What's the point in asking for him in the first place if your whole intent is simply to give him back? Do you know, she reckoned like this, she reasoned like this, I could not have produced the boy, therefore I do not own him. I, I lay no claim to possession for something in my own natural strength I cannot generate. So if I know it's not me, has to be grace, what grace generates, grace is willing to give. Sometimes we are unwilling to give because we generated that. Abram was not called to sacrifice Ishmael because he generated Ishmael as Abram. Abraham, the insertion of grace, the fifth letter into his name to change from Abram to Abram. Abraham produced Isaac. And what grace produced, grace was willing to freely give and offer the boy on the mount. Amen? Sometimes we're struggling to give. And please, as you hear me, like I constantly say, when we deal with a particular topic in series, the principles are not relative to that topic only. You can apply this anywhere to any all of life amen so are you experiencing this is now i think our eighth segment in the series are you experiencing a willingness a more freedom in how when god calls you to give is that true is that happening with you come on church yeah right the more your grace content grows the more god will lay expectations upon you to give the most costliest of things yeah? Before Abraham gave Isaac, he learned to give tithes in Genesis 14. Isaac is offered in Genesis 22. Right? If he could not learn to tithe, he would not have given the son. What am I saying? Practice progressive sequential steps in small things of repetitive patterns of obedience. Every time you obey, grace fills you. It prepares you for the next act of giving as you progressively grow in this dynamic. Pick your hands up if you answer this in the positive. How many of you want to be like God? Do you know quintessential to the nature of God is His desire to give? Yeah? Like at the core of Him, the center of His being, He's a God that loves to, to give out. Now today's Father's Day. Let me stick to my notes, otherwise I'm going to go all over the place now. Today's Father's Day, but I would like to turn the attention to our Heavenly Father, right? Is He not a good Father? Yes or no? He's a good, good Father. And I want to just demonstrate to you how that from a Father perspective, in His being, full of grace, He desires to give out good gifts to His children. Now, James chapter 1 verse 17, let's start there. James 1 and verse 17. Let's give a hand for Keegan there. His first time on the computer, managing the scriptures, training for raining, with his cap back to front and all. Hallelujah. <laughs> right. Every good, uh, every good thing 
And perfect gift, every good thing given and perfect gift is from above, coming down from who? Coming from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation nor, nor shifting shadows. This verse always speaks profoundly to my heart in reference to the matter of fathering generally. Because He is our standard. The, Father, the Heavenly Father is the standard that we look to in terms of how we should father others. And it says here that every good gift given and every perfect gift comes down. So it flows gravitationally down from a being which is called Father, right? And in Him it says there's no shifting shadows, like one version says, this one. There's no variation or shadow of turning, right? There's no um, variation in His being. There's a sameness to God that is very consistent. God doesn't have bad days. Imagine if He had a bad day, woke up one day, which is crazy and crazy and, and, and angry with everybody. He'd be all in trouble, eh? Thank God for God's consistent faithfulness, right? So uh, the challenge to us as fathers, for example, in, the, in, in this respect would be to be consistent in our nature when we represent the Father to others. Now, in respect to His capacity and willingness to give gifts, I want to encourage us, if we are to excel in financial things, particularly in the matter of giving, we must, we must tap into the ability inherent within His Father dynamic to do the same. It's not left up to us. It's left up to the power you harness, the power you tap into, the principle that drives your work. And I want to encourage you, let that be the Father principle. He is your Father and you are His Son. Tell your neighbor you are His Son. Right? He is your Father and you are His Son. But it's the duty of every son to accurately represent the heavenly father. Not so? Right? So Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. I'm going to go a bit slowly uh, because of some new people. Isaiah 9 and verse 6 says the following. For unto us a child is born or will be born. A son will be given to us. Notice the son was not born. The child was. Yeah? The son was given in the child. The child born would become the son given. And his name will be called, sorry, uh, the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, what? Ever or Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, this is not contradictory in any respect. When a son, what is the name of the son? His name will be? called yes it his name will be called and drop down his name son is called father now is the bible confused no it's in the principle is in every son is the capacity to represent the nature of his father because the word name implies nature will and function three things so you pray in the name of jesus not so that doesn't mean you simply say, in the name of Jesus. The prayer itself must be in keeping with the nature of Christ. Right? Everyone say, name is nature. So Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the, you've seen the Father. My name, my nature is eternal Father. The eternal Father dwells within me as Son. 
In other words, whenever the father wants to express himself, what container does he look for? Son. The father wants a vehicle called son whenever the father seeks to be made known. So the son will represent the father in his thoughts, his attitudes, and his actions. And like I said when I wish Pastor Thamo this morning, when we represent the father, we represent him. Represent, we present him again. Tell your neighbor, present him again. Represent is to represent him, to do it again. He came once, Jesus came once as the son, not so. And what did he say to the disciples when they said to him, show us the father? What did he say? If you've seen, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. What's my task as a son? My task as a son is to accurately represent all that my, my father is. In fact, there's a lovely verse in John 5 verse 17. I was perusing uh, some scriptures early this morning, not part of my notes, but um, I just found this fascinating. He, he does some work on the Sabbath here. And you know the usual religious spirit, they're angry with him. Why are you, why are you doing these things on the Sabbath? His simple response is this. He answered and said, my father is working until now and I myself am working. <laughs> I just love this. I love the King James. Just put the King James. For those of you that love Old English, this is for you. Some people feel there's an anointing on this Old English. So receive the anointing in the name of the Lord. Amen. It says, Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto. Hallelujah. Can you feel that? My father worketh hitherto. Right? And I work. He is saying, I'm only working because my father is working. If you have issues with what I'm doing on the Sabbath, don't talk to me. Talk to him. If he is working, I cannot help but work. He says, the works I do are not mine, but they my, they my father's. He even said, my doctrine, is, my teaching is not mine, it's my father's. They called him good. He said, there's no one good but my father. If there's any goodness in me, it's only symptomatic and reflection of the one I represent to represent again to you. So listen carefully, church. I want to encourage you. We all picked up our hands a moment ago when we said, we want to be like God. Not so? Hallelujah. We want to be like God. I want to encourage you in the matter of giving. Because you had in mind a particular aspect of God when you picked up your hand in terms of how you want to be like Him. All I'm suggesting to you, maybe some of you had power in your mind. I want to be like him in the expression of his power, his might, his peace, his loving kindness. I'm suggesting to you, let this be an aspiration in your heart. I want to be the consummate giver like he is. I want to be the ultimate giver like God is. If there's anything in me akin to him that could be like unto him, people of, must say of me, wow, see how that family, that brother, see how they give like God gives. As a son, they are representing their father in how he gives. Do you know God has to use people to bless other people? Do you know that? Money doesn't just float from the air to you. Do you know that? Right? God uses people to bless people and would like to step forward and say, yes, God, I want to be that person. I want to be giving and a giver at my core. Right? 
What I'm saying to you, if this is a tall order for you, it's really not left up to you, if you understand what I'm saying. All you do is incline yourself to it. Just bend. Say yes. It may be hard, but I am desirous. There's an inclination in me to want to do it. And the moment you incline yourself, I believe the grace of God will attend you. The grace of God will be poured into you and propel your obedience in reference to the same. So I want to encourage us to, to be like the Heavenly Father when it comes to His generosity. There's a lovely scripture, I just can't remember where it's found, in Second Peter. It says, God, if God did not, or in Romans it says, uh, He did not hold back His only Son, or give up His only Son, but He freely gave Him. If that is true, Paul argues, how much more then will He, the Father, together with Him, also not freely give us all good things? If he, do you know that Jesus, singularly, when he was given to the earth by the Father, do you know that he was the single greatest expression of a gratuitous, lavish, extravagant gift in human history ever? Do you know that none can parallel that measure of giving? Even now, when, when, when God gave, the Father gave the Son, uh, with the express purpose of dying on the cross to pay the penalty for sin, to redeem mankind to Him. Do you know that was the ultimate? Which two passages in the New Testament? Come on, we're in class, right? Which two passages in the New Testament does Paul spend at length about the subject of giving financially? Come on, guys, you know this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter Nine, right? If you know me by now, in those two chapters, which are my favorite verses in each, in each chapter? Come on, say how well you know you, your leader. I told you this. It's 8, 9, and 9, 8. Easy. Everyone say 8, 9. Say 9, 8. 2 Corinthians 9, it says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you at all times and all things will abound unto every good work. He's saying when you give, when you give, it's talking about giving, the result of that is God is able to make all grace. Everyone say all grace. Grace is multifaceted, variegated. But the many varied expressions of that grace comes to a giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you. But you know, do you know, now thinking of Hannah, Hannah gave Samuel, and what did she reap afterwards? Five sons. She had five more sons. What is five? grace so she gave a first fruit Samuel was like a first fruit offering she gave all she had first fruit Samuel and nobody gives from a grace embodiment position she's Hannah her name means this she's full of grace no one gives costly what it costs them all gives their only son and does not reap more grace in reference to how they've given you will never be shortchanged I promise you you will never be disadvantaged Hallelujah. Never be disadvantaged in how you give. But everyone say 8-9. Put up on the board uh, in ASP. 8-9. 2 Corinthians 8-9. It says that well, Paul is abounding in gratitude here. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. Grace 
knows how to impoverish itself. Yeah, became poor. Grace knows how to impoverish itself to enrich others. Grace knows how to inconvenience itself to, con to convenience others. So he said to the Corinthians, you Corinthians that excel in all spiritual gifts, but you lack love and you lack giving. So I'll write to you a whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, about how to love. Love is da, 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 da. Right? I will write to you one chapter of love, but I will spend two chapters on financial giving. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And then he says, this grace of the Lord Jesus, when he died, he died by grace. He was rich. He impoverished himself to, to enrich you. Right? And when he thinks about this, the last verse in chapter 9. I don't know what it is. I think it's 15 or so. Do you know he ends the whole chapter on giving? The two chapters on financial offerings. He makes this statement. Thanks be to God for his what? For his indescribable gift. Paul is using a particular methodology of persuasion. By saying this, he's saying, be like God in how you give. The word indescribable here in the Greek literally means unutterable, speechless, ineffable, unable to be described, indescribable. Not so? So, everyone say, you know, have you ever, has someone ever given you a gift that let you, left you speechless. Huh? You can't even say thank you. <laughs> right? Have you ever blessed someone off their socks where the person wasn't expecting it, the degree of it, the profundity of it, the quality or the quantity of the thing, but you blessed them that left them utterly amazed? Yeah? Now, I said to God, if I want to be like you, as you are father and you love to give gifts, and I want this experience at some, some point in my life where I give someone such a gift. It's not about amount. It might be representation. It might be significance. That leaves them speechless. Has not the giving of the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth left us speechless? Yeah? Paul, after teaching them various principles of giving, which we will still, still do later, he says, wow, church at Corinth, let's now thank God for his gift that has left us speechless, unable to be uttered in terms of gratitude. It's, wow, you know, what can we say? Now, I want to encourage you. You see, the giving of Christ was significant. Not so? It was redemptive. Do you know Hannah's offering of Samuel was redemptive for Israel? It shut down the era of the judges when there was no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes and this prophet would anoint a Saul and a David later he would institute the monarchy he would shut down an era of lawlessness and bring order and government to the nation of of Israel amen and sometimes we don't see value or significance in what we give we just give loosely without prophetic awareness of what does this thing mean to people, to the earth, to God's purposes, etc. The woman that broke the nod, 11 months worth of wages, remember? 
What did Jesus say? This gift has prepared me for my... This gift has prepared me for my, my burial. When Abram offered Isaac, did you not realize, or maybe he didn't even realize this, I am setting a prophetic pattern in what I do for how one day the Lord God himself would give his only son, the one he loves, on a mount and sacrifice him one day? Yeah. You see, if we're not aware prophetically of of how the Father gives. Everyone say the Father gives. This Father is full of grace. If you're not aware of the, oh, the, the degree of calculation and thought and involvement in His mind whenever he, he gives something to the earth and gives gifts as a good Father to men. And I'm saying if we're going to be like Him, I'm saying, Lord, I want that quality. I want to be like Barnabas who can sell a whole piece of land and take the money and say to the apostles' feet, here's it. Not realizing this, this gift is going to bring such fuel, such momentum. It's going to accelerate and push things. And do you know by Acts 14, Paul says, when we as apostles, speaking about himself and Barnabas, he was not an apostle in Acts 4. Do you know that? When he gave, do you know what, was, what, what he was in Acts 4? He was a Levite. He was Joseph the Levite. Remember? Come on, let's read it. It's in my notes somewhere. Quickly, for those of you that don't believe these things are in the Scriptures. <laughs> it's somewhere here. It's Acts 4.36, quickly. Acts 4.36. I want to show you this. Do you know, remember all the tribes in Israel had an apportionment of land for their inheritance. Remember? Judah, Simeon, uh, all of them. Natalie, Dan, etc. They all were portioned land when Joshua divided the estate, the whole land of, Can of, of Canaan. The Levites did not get any land. Why? God clearly taught this, that I am their inheritance. They don't need physical estate, real estate. I am their inheritance. Now, what do you want? Do you want the land or do you want as your inheritance, he who possesses the earth? Right? God is our inheritance. So the Levites had to learn this. Watch. The Levites had to learn this disposition, this mind, this thinking, that I might, I, I am detached. Everyone say detached. I'm detached from anything earthly. I own nothing. I often wonder what he was doing with the piece of land in Acts 4. Because <laughs> by definition, Levites could not own land. If you, if you study this throughout the Old Testament, Whenever the nation of Israel went away from God, the Levites were living in several cities scattered throughout all the tribes, right? They were placed strategically throughout the whole nation because they had a priestly function. But whenever Israel went away, their welfare was at stake. You know why? All the tithes and offerings collected by Israel were to sustain the Levites. So if you don't tithe, Levites get unsustained and the spiritual climate in Israel starts to to wane people, move away from God, etc. Over time, historically, some Levites owned land, right? And there, there seems to be, there's a verse in Numbers 18, which seems to relax the law a little bit, permitting some Levites to own land. So here's one. Everyone say Joseph. Is it here? Yeah. Joseph, a Levite. What does the word Joseph mean? 
right? God adds. Now, that's the strictest meaning of Joseph. God adds. Addition, multiplication. Joseph has an economic grace. Like Joseph of old in Egypt. Remember? The brothers, he transformed the whole economy of, 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 of Egypt. Now, who was his mother in the Old Testament? The Joseph of old. His mother was Rachel. Remember Rachel had Joseph and Benjamin. And her concubine had the others. Leah had four, I think, and her concubine had the rest. Together, group of 12 sons, right? When Joseph was born, do you know what Rachel said? She did not say God adds. She wasn't thinking economic anointing. She wasn't thinking money. She wasn't thinking fiscally, financially. You know what she actually said? She said, now God has added a son to me. What is the real addition in Joseph? Sonship. Everyone say, added a son. So listen carefully. If Joseph can come into sonship, the resident capacity to manage things financially will come to the fore in his sonship. He's not going to come to an addition quality outside of his manifestation as son. Amen? That's why the first executive decision after reconciling with the brothers in Egypt, what did he say? Get Papa down here to Egypt. He needed a father in grace. Right? So sonship was very, very big. Do you know that unless you come into sonship, with the knowledge that God is your father, it'll, you'll find it very difficult to give anything away. Why was a man like him able to, this now New Testament Joseph, a Levite, and the, the apostles renamed him Barnabas. Now, a renaming is a renaturing. To rename someone is to renature them. When Adam named an ant an ant, he did not call it an elephant. Okay. Why did he call an ant an ant? Because it's an ant. Why did he call a snake a snake? Because it's a snake. Who decided that? He did by wisdom. Right? But you know, when he named things, the naming wasn't to isolate one and so separate it from another so as to prevent confusion. The name was calling forth its functionality. So what he named, he natured. So whenever someone in the Bible is renamed, what's God doing? Come on. God is re. So what is his name? Joseph. God adds a son, yes. But he's named what? Renamed? Barnabas, which means what? You see, he's still son. He never loses the son quality. It's son of encouragement. It doesn't just mean encouragement. If you come into sonship, listen carefully, from sonship, Everything that God will expect for you to do in this life will issue forth and flow from. Right? It will flow from, it will flow literally from that dynamic. But you know the Levites, historically like I've said, were detached from the land, did not want to, could not own anything because God said, I am the inheritance. God literally said, I am the inheritance. So Barnabas easily gives away land. Why? Because the land he owns does not own him. What he possesses does not possess him. And that's a grace position. Why do I say Barnabas was full of grace? Because he, he, had, he, had, he had access to the grace of God vested in the apostles. There was this engagement with them 
as a spiritual fathering representation over his life. That is why I want to encourage you. I think sometimes people struggle with the aspect of giving. You know why? You can be in a grace-filled church, grace-filled church, but with not observing principles and protocols relative to how you should relate to an apostolic fathering oversight, you could be grace deficient like the Corinthians were. Right? Remember in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul said this to them, that I will send Titus to you and he will complete the grace of giving in you. They had relationships with Paul that were tested through false apostles and they started to doubt his apostleship and that uh, was a serious uh, prohibitive factor in the quality and the quantums of grace they could receive. It manifested to Paul by their reluctance to support Paul's ministry even fi- financially. Right? And so I want to encourage you as you, as, as you, as you think how the Father gives and if you think giving from a platform of the grace of God that you function out of an awareness that God is your Father. You give like He gives. He's a benevolent, gracious God. Listen carefully. That is not only, He doesn't only want His, His plenitude to be made known to, to the earth, but He wants representative sons in the earth, in and through whom He could showcase this generosity by those sons in their world, giving lavishly as He gives. You are not called just to represent Him, period. You're called to represent Him in every, in every respect. And I want to encourage you. We're going to pray in a moment for this grace, a prayer of impartation. And I want to pray it also for myself. I may be your spiritual father in Christ, but you as a son have a responsibility to represent your heavenly father who is your true father in all things, in your world. And in how you manage finances, how you manage money, how you manage the whole area of financial giving. I want you to think like this now. Actually, you must think this. If ever I am you positioning yourself to give money in any respect to a brother, to help a family out, a tithe, an offering, or to leadership, in any respect, whenever you give, you must tell yourself, my name is Eternal Father. Like the Son was named Eternal Father. Remember in, in Revelation 21, the name of Father is on the, on the forehead. My thinking. Everyone say my thinking. So you must tell your thinking, I am representative of my Father in this regard, and I will give like a father would give. I'm not even going to give as a son would, but in sonship, I give as a father would give. And every good and every perfect gift comes from where? From a fathering dynamic. Right? And let me just say this. The dynamic you tap into will determine the, the quality of what you give. If you approach giving like an orphan, you give like an orphan. If you approach giving like a little child, you will give like a little child. You know what little children are? You tell the child, share your toy with the other little child. Now my toy, my horse, my car, right? There's this, right? Then they grow and they grow. And I'm saying, you grow in levels of sonship. Uh, from Nepios right to Uios until you get to Pate. And when you get to this Pate 
um, quality in your sonship, you will give without restraint. Yes, you will give soberly. I'm not saying, I'm not calling for reckless giving. You give as you're led by the Lord, etc. But the quality of the Father's gifts will be graciously displayed in and through your life. Now, Matthew 7, quickly. I haven't really started my own notes. Quickly, so I want to show you one or two things. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Everyone who asks, receive, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. What man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he not give him a snake? Will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Everyone say, how much more? Come on, say again, how much more? So, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask Him? Come on, is God a giver by nature? Prayer, when you pray, it says those who ask, when you pray, prayer is not overcoming the reluctance of God to do anything. True praise, discovering what He wants to do, tapping into that and partnering with Him to release that to the earth. But there's something in God that where there's a willingness to do. Now, when you are, or if you are evil, Jesus said, and you know how to give good gifts to your children, if your child asks for a snake, I mean, he won't ask for a snake. <laughs> what does it say? If he asks for fish, you won't give him a snake. If he asks for bread, you won't give him a stone. And it makes this comparison. If you were essentially evil in nature, but you know when it comes to fathering, how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more? What he's saying, how much more if you in your evil state harness the power of your heavenly father in you to give? How much more will your giving escalate and be thoroughly representative of everything your heavenly father desires to give to you now just quickly let me just try and wind this up as quickly as i as i can do you know the greatest gifts the father gave first i believe was his son the lord jesus we read this in second corinthians 9 15 thanks be to god for his indescribable ineffable unable to be uttered gift can't describe it right he says that is a gift and then in luke's account of the same passage in Luke 13, sorry, Luke 11, verse 13, it says this, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give what? Give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. Do you know when the Father gave what is called, in Galatians and the book of Romans, what is called the promise of the Father is a reference to the Holy Spirit. When he gave that, he gave that as a, as a gift. Now, track with me. In Matthew 6, from verse 19 onwards, please track with me. It won't be too long. Just watch. Matthew 6, from verse 19. Now, please, you've got to listen intently. I'll be another five or ten minutes. Do not store for yourselves treasures on the earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Okay? Next verse. But store up for yourselves treasures in 
heaven where neither rust nor, sorry, moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and or nor steal. Next verse. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's easy to locate your heart. Just find out where your treasure is. The destination of your money will reveal the priority of your heart. Ask your neighbor, have you found where your heart is? It says, where your treasure is, there will your, your heart be also. Next verse. The eye is the lamp of the body. Now, yeah, you've got to concentrate. This is what I believe God wants to tell us this morning. The eye is the lamp of the, the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. Verse 23. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Next verse. No man can serve. Notice he's the backdrop to that statement. You can't serve God and mammon, God and money. The backdrop is the quality of light in you. Is it light or darkness? And he says, no man can serve two masters. He will hate the one, love the other, be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Next verse, quickly. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, your body as to what you will put on. Is, li is life not more than food and the body not more than clothing? All right. Next verse. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into bonds. Yet what? Even said loud, Heavenly Father. It says your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Next verse. And who are you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? Why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field. They grow. They do not toil. Neither do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory um, clothed himself like one of these. But God, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much will he more clothe you, O he of little? What's the issue here? Little, it was a little faith. You know, I met an old cousin of mine, and I'm coming out, I'm driving, I decided to drive through Wentworth, not to go through um, my normal route, just to check out the neighborhood where I grew up again. And I met an old uh, uncle of mine, actually. And he stopped me, waved me down, and we're having this conversation. And uh, he gave me a powerful testimony how God is using it. It was really a God moment. And he said this to me. You know, I grew up in front of him. He said, Randolph, you've always loved the Lord. He's leading over the car. He's talking to me. You've always loved the Lord. I've watched you, da-da-da-da-da. You've been, you've been faithful. The Lord says to you, just up your belief. Just believe God. It was a power. He said to me, just believe God. And I, I drove away. God spoke to me. Just believe me. Right? Everyone say, just believe. What was the issue here? Say, little faith. Yeah, little faith. Right? You're worried about what you shall eat, drink, and wear. Are those not basic necessities of life? There's this tension in life of accruing money to take care of my personal needs. And on the other end, there's this heavenly Father that calls me to trust and rely on Him completely, not only as the source of all of my needs, but also that I 
in terms of our context here and teaching, I need to come into how he gives. With intensity, the quality, the fervor, the significance of all his gifts. I want to go into that. Listen carefully if you're listening by the, with the ear of the Spirit. I'm not just saying give as God gives. God is calling this church to every time we give, either personally or corporately, it must be weighted. The gift, I'm not talking about quantity. Even if it's large or small is not the issue. The gift itself must be weighted and significant. Do you know, there's a verse in Corinthians somewhere. For 2 Corinthians 5.17. What does it say? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. We can put it up. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. The next verse. And all things are of God. Verse 18. All things are from God who reconciled us to Him. Self through Christ Jesus. And gave us what? Ministry of? The next verse says, watch. Verse 19. Namely, I like this. God was in Christ. Reconciling the world back to Himself. Do you know when the Father gave Jesus... I often could not understand the, the words of Jesus. My Father and I are one. I'm in Him. He is in me. I work. My Father works. He the two. I work. He says, I says. He does. I, I do. I die. He is in me dying, pulling the world back to Himself. The Father was in the Christ, Jesus reconciling the world to himself. You know what that tells me? Whenever the father gives something out from himself, he's never divorced from what he gave. What he gives has his image and likeness in it. In every seed, in every offering you give, it must be thoroughly representative of the totality of your own heart. For that seed to have weighted significance and redemption. Right? Remember Isaac gave himself as a seed. Offering. So when he sows seeds in a time of famine, in the same year it bore a hundredfold. Why could a seed in a time of famine, which is not wise to sow, bear fruit in the same year a hundredfold? It depends who's sowing it. Tell your neighbor it depends who is sowing it. You take an, an ordinary person and let them sow seed in famine, nothing happens. Yeah, Isaac comes and he sows seed, and in the same year, a hundredfold. Why? Because in his time, he sowed his life as a seed. The seed sown bore his image and likeness, and the ground respected it, and the ground gave up its produce because of what has been sown. Now, quickly, okay, time will not permit me to go through all the scriptures. Let me just give you the principle, and I'll maybe our next sitting, I'll take you through the scriptures. I just want to give you the principle because of time. Where did your spirit come from? Which part of the Godhead? Who is the source of your spirit? The Father. Hebrews 12 says that the Father, God the Father, watch, is the Father of our spirits. What is the compositional makeup of spirit? Grace. If you have a spirit born from the Father, full of grace, the capacity and nature of the Father is already present within you in your spirit. It's there. Right? 
Now, Proverbs, you've got to read this. Proverbs 22, sorry, 20 verse, Proverbs 20 verse 27. And then we're going to pray. Listen carefully. Proverbs 20 verse 27. The spirit of the man is what? Everyone say, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. Now go back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 23. Keegan, you're doing well? Previous verse. The eye is the lamp of the body. What did we just read? Your spirit is the lamp of the Lord. Right? Do you know you don't see through your eyes? You don't see with your eyes. You see through your eyes. Right? The perspective you have of life, these eyes are simply a, a gateway, but the, the perspective that you have of what you see through your eyes is really from the platform of the mind of your spirit, not even the mind of your soul. Well, depending on where you function, right? Yeah? You see through your eyes. Now, do you know when Jesus said this, the eye is the lamp of the body. We know that the lamp of the body is the Spirit within man that God gave to us as a father. And it says here, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be what? Full of light. Now, I won't have time to prove this to you. The Greek word for clear, in terms of its root meaning, means generous. Bountiful. Gratuitous. Not sparing. Not stingy. This word means... And you know, yeah, I draw the principle. A person who is generous, truly, sincerely, authentically generous, motivated by, uh, prom uh, prompted by honorable motivation, not spurious, clear, which is another meaning of the word, transparent. That person will be full of the light of revelation. There's a direct link between how you handle money and the degree of your revelation. Firstly, you give from being enlightened. So the person who has light, who has a spirit full of light, will manifest it generously in how he gives. Remember, he's about to say to you here, yeah, a few verses down, you cannot serve both God and God and mammon. Now, one more verse, Proverbs 22, 9, I think it is. Proverbs 22, verse 9. Quickly. He who is generous will be blessed. He gives some of his food even to the poor. I want to encourage you. David said this. I won't have time to go to all the scriptures. David said this when he repented. He said, uphold me with your free spirit. The word free there in the Hebrew is generous. Repeat after me, uphold me with your generous spirit. There's a bunch of scriptures, whenever it references God as spirit, says that spirit is a generous one. And if he's the father of my spirit, and grace from spirit to spirit when it comes to me, will cause me to be generous. And when I do so, light, illumination, revelation, the God nature fills my, fills my being. In fact, when it says if your eye is bad, then the light in you is really darkness. And how big is that darkness? The stingy person has the opposite effect. 
of no light, no illumination, no God quality, no God disposition within their, within their lives. And you know what Jesus would later say in the, in the Gospel of Luke? He would say, if you are unfaithful with unrighteous mammon, who will reveal to you the true riches? You want revelation? You want light? You want understanding? You want to know the scriptures? Who wants to know the scriptures? Come on. You want your mind to break open when you read the Bible? You want revelation to jump out of you? You know where you can start at least? Say to God, well, based upon what I've heard, Father, you're a good Father. Your, your, your spirit is generous. I will practice how you, to give like you give. And I, I won't have time to prove this more to you. But when you step into that and you start to practice generous giving from a spirit that is generous, your light will improve. The light in you, which is the lamp, the spirit of your body, through which you purview and perceive of all life, will dramatically escalate. Pastor Thamo would often say this. Years ago, I remember him saying this. That people ask him, well, how come he knows the things that he does? He said he can put it down to, amongst many other factors, he puts it down to a major part of it is the degree of his generosity. How he gives. The more you give light, illumination, comes upon you you see if you're unfaithful there then god says if you're unfaithful there do you think i'm gonna now commit to your stewardship the true riches of revelation of understanding now let me ask you a question is this house a revelatory house are we custodians of truth do we have a, a mandate to teach the nations do you think this quality needs to increase you see, I'm not after money. I'm after revelation. <laughs> I want that quality to grow. Right? I want that dynamic to grow. May it be said of you that you are, have a generous spirit. Therefore, great is the light in you when you give generously. You give from a platform of enlightenment. And every time you give, you come into greater enlightenment. It's like you give from grace and every time you give from grace, you enter into more grace to give even greater from the increased grace dimension. Yeah? yeah. Hallelujah. Everyone just do this. Just hear this. I said, the Lord, I'm preaching to you. God saying, make my spirit, this God component in me, you are the father. Everyone say father. father. You are the father of my spirit. If you are the father of my spirit, my father is, as me as your son, that dynamic of Father, in terms of its generosity, must increase. Hallelujah. Amen. Can we give one to each? Can we have four runners here? Four people. Preferably young, so you can move fast. Just divide this between the two of you. One start at the back, one start in the front. Need another one? Okay, Julie, you here? Are you young? Okay, no. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> There's one here. Just divide it into half. One start at the back. Give one to everyone, quickly. And then... Can I have just two more people? Okay, Sean and Julian, you're right here. Come. One per family of that. One to each of the other. You guys need to move quickly, eh? Don't have a conversation with the people you're giving out, right? Just give it and go. <laughs> Hallelujah. Quickly, quickly. Just, just pass a few down. Pass. You can always pick up the balance afterwards. The big one is one per family. Well, let me just say this. The big one, one per family. If you are a single family but you live in two rooms, <laughs> take one for each of the rooms. Okay, we're done, Josh? Kelly, we're done? Caroline? Who else? Okay, Jules? Right. Everyone got one of each at least.
can always get the big ones later. Just the small ones are important for now. Okay. Now, what I've done is I've just done a card, and it's, it's laminated because I want you to do this exercise repetitively until the truth of this reality sinks deep into your spirit. The big one, the colored one, is for preferably your children. You can stick this up somewhere where they can see it every day. And I want to, I want to ask the parents to diligently ask your child to go through this, at least for the next two weeks or so, and then afterwards, every now and then, just bring them back and just say, let's do this meditative exercise. Remember a few weeks, a few years ago, actually, now not a few weeks, we taught a series on biblical meditation. One of the methodologies for biblical meditation is repetition. We repeat an idea and you verbalize it, because the, the Hebrew word for meditation means to mumble under your breath. So you're thinking, but you, you're saying it. It's haga. It's, it's to say something. right? So listen carefully. If ever, today's Father's Day. Who loves our Heavenly Father? Yeah? We love our Heavenly Father. Hallelujah. It's Father's Day. And if, if I am His son, I'm to function like Him, and, it, and I'm to function with this generous spirit, I've got to be confident. That's why Matthew 16, or 6 that we've just read, says don't be worried for your if you're going to come into this dimension, you still can't be living in the realm called worry. Tell your neighbor, don't worry, be happy. Sing it if you have to. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to say this as we close. Do not live in a realm called worry. It negates everything we've just... So not to worry. If I'm going to come out of anxiety, I'm going to come into a mentality that says, God is my father. I am his son. He will take care of me. He takes care of the birds of the field. They don't sow reap, but your father takes care of them. And how much more, he says, will my heavenly father take care of? Of us. Right? So if we're ever going to function with the generosity of spirit that he carries as a father, as son, you start by being convinced God, your father, will never let you down. Come on, say it to your neighbor. God, your Father, will never let you down. Right? Come on, let's say it. You can keep this card in front of you, or you can follow me on the screen. We're going to accentuate the bolded or underlined words. Okay? You're going to say seated because if you stand, some of you won't be able to see this. Let's say it with conviction. Let's say it with affirmation. One, two, three. God is my Father. I am His Son. 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 Say it again. God is my Father. I am His Son. Lift your hands to Him. We ask you, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Hallowed be the name, Father. Set apart to be reverenced your name by which we are called. We thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your care. We give you thanks for the way in which you father us. We bless you and we honor you on this special day where the world celebrates fathers globally. We thank you that you are our papa. You are our daddy. I pray every one of us today will come into a new revelation of what you mean to us as father. I pray, oh God, none of us would feel unloved today. But all of us today, we revel and rejoice in the knowledge that you are our, our father, our daddy, our papa. And now I ask you specifically, the grace within you as a spirit being, because you are the father of our spirits, the grace within your being, Father, would be dispensed profoundly even now to every single one of us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray there will come a reception of a new capacity and new understanding of who you are as Father. And the generosity locked up in your being as a spirit being will be released to us even now. I break stinginess in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I break the spirit of hoarding. I break the spirit of the bad eye, the, the, the darkness to be dissipated now in the lives of your people in the name of the Lord Jesus. I thank you, O oh God, that the light in them will be bright because it will be your capacity, your grace empowerment, your grace illumination that we receive by faith now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We bless you. Come on, just worship Him for a while. Father, we honor you and magnify your great name. We bless you. There's none beside you in all the earth. Every good, every perfect gift comes down from you, the Father of lights, in whom there's no variation, no shifting shadows. Blessed be your name forevermore. Blessed be your name forevermore. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. Thank you, Father. Amen.